You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, of course, as always this week, we are going to be taking communion a little bit later here in the service. So if you haven't had a chance to do so, now is a great chance to grab whatever elements are going to be uh, your bread and cup this morning. Um, And Max will lead us uh, a little bit later on. And um, again, you know, we're meeting here virtually right now in the middle of uh, this new surge uh, with Omicron. And, um, and I know that that's frustrating and it's nice, it was nice to have the opportunity to meet in person, but I'm so thankful for your willingness for us to be safe and um, do what's best to help kind of contain this spread as much as we can, which is so important, especially right now. Um, And it's actually a really good thing that we did decide to do that when we did, because not only did I test positive for COVID this week, um, so did several other people in our community, um, despite the general safety measures that we have taken and the vaccination statuses of so many people here. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that we did that rather than further contribute to spreading this thing around. So thank you guys for um, doing that all with us. And, and here we are for a couple of weeks here, at least, um, uh, back in this virtual space. And I'm very much looking forward to when we can be in person more regularly and hopeful that that can be, um, sooner rather than later. Um, but in light of all of that, would you join me in prayer as we open our service this morning? It's okay, kiddo. (laughs) And in the middle of COVID in our house, uh, Ashley is uh, feeling much more under the weather, which is why I have Ellie with me here as we're starting. So uh, yeah, this is uh, Zoom during COVID, I suppose. (laughs) Let's pray. God, it's been two years since we went into this lockdown Two years since we went into a two-week lockdown to help contain coronavirus spread. And God, weeks became months, and now months has become years, and through it, we've put our lives on hold. Just as I'm going to put our prayer here on hold. (laughs) Okay, kiddo. Where are your Cheerios? Cheerios are the answer for everything, aren't they? (laughs) God of of grace and God of hope. Bob, we can still hear you even when she's crying too. So just, just no, yeah. yeah. No, I know. I know. Hold on just for one second, guys. I'll be right back. 
Um, let's try that again. God of grace and God of hope. After two years of being in this space of uncertainty, of not knowing, of disruption, We have so many, so many different feelings. We had hope in our containment efforts that isolating would change this space. We had hope that vaccines would quickly bring an end. And here we find ourselves seeing that this is something that is going to be with us for longer. In two years, we've had so much disappointment there's been so much loss. There's been so much forced change. God, wherever we find ourselves, what we need most is your grace. Grace for ourselves. Grace to extend to others who have been struggling in their own ways through all of this. So in the middle of all the different places, be our space of hope and grace. As this new calendar year marks a sort of new beginning in the middle of the same thing that we've been doing, give us renewed spirits. Allow us to be a community of hope, a space of healing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I wanted to share with you uh, a prayer that was written by Nadia Bowles Weber, um, who is uh, a sort of spiritual mentor and guide for this community in a lot of ways, and is the pastor of um, House for All Sinners and Saints. So hear these words from Nadia. Uh, what I love about her is just how unbelievably raw uh, and genuinely human she is. And, uh, um, and let this be our prayer this morning. Dear God, I've asked for so many things during this ridiculous pandemic. Patience, forbearance, peace, safety, forgiveness, and a new season of the Great British Bake Off. But I've never asked for courage. So if courage is something you can give us more of, I think now would be a good time. Or maybe it doesn't work like that. Maybe we don't get an extra measure of what we need only when we think to ask for it and ask nicely, like a second helping of gruel from the abusive guy who runs the orphanage. I'm asking for courage because I've tried ignoring my fear and that only works for about four minutes. And I've tried resisting it, but that seems to make my fear stronger, like I'm its personal trainer. So give me courage, Lord, to show up in life despite the fear. Courage to love despite having been hurt. Courage to heal even though I sometimes love my wounds. Courage to feel lonely and know it will not destroy me. Courage to clean the kitchen. Courage to trust that I have all that I need. 
your hands have already provided. Amen. Thanks for that, Bob. And thanks uh, for the supporting uh, chorus, Ellie. We love we love to hear your voice. Uh, and boy, do we love Nadia Boltzweber. Wow. Uh, just as a way, like you said, of, of weaving together the divine and the human um, in, in simple yet profound ways. Uh, well, as Bob mentioned, uh, and as we do each week, we will be taking communion together. Um, so whatever it is you have, <laughs> And I am realizing that I do not have anything for communion. Uh, it's all good. Uh, can you bring me a singular cheese it, please? <laughs> was was that a prayer or was it a text you sent to Karis? I, I, there was a very fine line between heaven and earth, my friend. Uh, 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 one might say it was both. Yeah, we'll forgive you. <laughs> We'll see well, if it's answered, right? That's how we interpret prayers, how they're responded to probably. So I'll let you know uh, if I end up getting a cheese it. Um, <laughs> as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, uh, we're in this interesting time uh, between, right? We did the Advent season, then it's Christmas. And then there's a season that often referred to as like Christmas tide, uh, sometimes referred to as the epiphany season because it leads up to actual epiphany, um, which is the, uh, the feast of epiphany, depending on what tradition you, you're in. It's always hard to be comprehensive about these things because there's 2000 years of many different traditions and denominational approaches to this. But essentially, right, what we've been doing is celebrating light um, and specifically the light that has come into the world and the Christ child. We talk a lot about it. Uh, leading up to Christmas and through Christmas. And also you see it aligned. Our, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> Thank you. She's the best. Um, <laughs> uh, you actually see it, the light interplay too. And again, we don't have to get fully into it because of the overlapping traditions and years about where it really comes from. But the alignment, at least within church tradition of the lights of Christmas, right? Um, and all the beautiful shining lights, everyone starts to hang lights because it's the dark of winter and that brings joy. Um, so there's something very universal about it. Um, and now Epiphany, which was this week, technically this is the Sunday of Epiphany, um, is the closing of that season. And that doesn't mean the light goes away, but uh, I, I found it very uh, striking that yesterday we spent a lot of time taking down all the lights around uh, our house and a very, um, a very uh, sad, uh, melancholy mostly uh, experience, especially from Theo and our kids being, but we love the lights, we love the lights. Um, and I was tempted to be like, yeah, let's just leave the Christmas lights up all year. Um, but we didn't. We took them down because they understood uh, that there's there are seasons. Right. And um, and there's a specialness that comes along with celebrating particular themes in particular ways during particular parts of the year. Um, so likewise, we're closing out that season here um, uh, in, in this church community and we'll be entering. Does anyone know what we're entering? The name for the season between Christmas tide, Epiphany, and Lent. It happens at other times of the year, too. This is fun. It's called Ordinary Time. It is called Ordinary Time. 
Uh, and it's a bit of a, a bit of a uh, double meaning there, ordinary in terms of numbering, um, just being able to count the days and ordinary as in plain. Um, but uh, it's the time up until Lent, and then we'll enter the Lenten season. But as we go into this ordinary time, I want to leave us with a communion focused on the, um, the theme of light um, and a prayer um, therein. So if you have your elements now, I've stalled plenty of time for myself. Hopefully I've stalled for you as well. Uh, let's pray. Oh, I'll put um, a call and response into the chat. I will say the parts that are say one and um, please feel free to unmute if you feel comfortable to respond with the parts that say many. Um, let's pray. Here at this table, virtual table, and in this virtual sanctuary, let the divine spark enter our lives. Let the holy light The brightness of Jesus the Christ will illuminate our way. The radiance of the Christ will warm our hearts. God is shining upon you. And God's God, God light streams upon you. Open your hearts. We open, open them to the brilliance of God. Let us give thanks to the light and love of God. We praise our Creator. On the night before Jesus died, when some were plotting to extinguish the holy light, warmth and sh was shared between friends. Jesus took the bread. In his blessing, he passed the divine glow to his followers as he broke the bread. He reminded them to eat in remembrance of him. Later that same evening, Jesus took the cup. He blessed it and invited his friends to taste from the cup of grace. Do this as often as you drink of this for the remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, may your divine glow bless this bread or whatever it is you have as bread today and this cup. Warm our hearts made cold by a chilled world, and may this meal inspire us to carry your warmth into our world. Amen. I invite you to take what it is for the bread and the cup. God of light, and love, we cherish this table in this season when the nights are long and cold. Through this meal, the Christ and our neighbors, our hearts have warmed. May the comfort in our souls sustain us through winter and nudge us to create welcoming spaces for our neighbors. With gratitude, we leave here energized to kindle your love in this world. Amen. May it be so. Thanks, Max. Um, I actually don't have any announcements this week. As usual, we are still on screen. So hopefully the cases will go down soon and we'll have some stuff for us to do. In the meantime, be safe. Thanks, Angie. Um, prayer requests, words of Thanksgiving. Now is the time that we share what's going on in our lives with each other and we hear each other and we pray for each other. And so um, if you have something you'd like to share, something you want prayed about, um, you can unmute and just raise your voice that way, or you could always put it in the chat and I'll do my best to see it from there. Uh, anybody this morning? Hey, Aaron, I have one. Um, yeah, a couple Angie. weeks ago, we prayed for our friends, Katie and Matt. Uh, Matt had surgery, he has esophageal cancer. Um, 
the surgery, he had, he had a lot of problems. And unfortunately, Matt passed away a couple of days ago. So no, I'm I, so sorry. Yeah. So I just, I want to pray for our friend Katie, his wife, and um, the family he left behind. They're going through a really hard time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Loving God, we lift up Katie in the hour of her need and during this time of profound grief over the, the loss of Matt. We pray for her and her entire family and Matt's, Matt's family as they're going through this dark time together. May they find the love and the support they need, the strength they need um, to walk through this together. We pray for their, just for all the unspoken needs um, right now that they are grappling with. We lift them up now and we commit Matt into your hands now and forevermore. Amen. Um, somebody else. Me, two things. Um, one, my sister's got the COVID and she's yep. vaccinated. She's not boosted, is she? She's vaccinated, but she's doing pretty terribly. Um, so I feel bad. My brother-in-law has it too, and neither one of them are well enough to take care of each other. So, um, yeah, they're pretty, pretty crappy over there. And then two, um, I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this, but Diana and I are trying to expand our family for the fourth time this month. Wow. So we're hoping uh, that things go in our direction. So just prayers that yeah. all that happens. Wow, how exciting. Uh, well, thank you for sharing uh, sharing that with, with us. And it's your, I'm sorry, it's your friend who has COVID and, and, and her husband? I'm sorry sister and her husband her husband. sister and her husband yeah let's let's pray for all that loving god we lift up uh, emily's sister and her husband as they are just grappling with covid as so many are right now we pray for their health and well-being and um all those in our lives right now that are suffering from this disease we pray for their health and well-being and we also lift up um, Emily and Diana during this incredibly exciting but nerve-wracking time as they are trying to um, conceive, uh, and, and we pray for, um, just, just, just for that entire process, um, that just that they might receive the medical care they need and that, uh, conception might happen. We, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever prayed for that one before. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome for your first. That's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that intimate detail with us. Uh, you know, thank you. I think that's wonderful. Um, all right. Uh, somebody else this morning. Hello. Hey, Cassandra. Uh, oh, and Andre. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I wanted uh, a couple of weeks ago, I asked from, uh, if they could join us in prayers for my father, who at the time was in the intensive care unit at, uh, because of COVID. Uh, thankfully uh, to God, he has gotten better since. And uh, I just wanted to thank everyone and uh, communicate how much I appreciate and felt everyone's support at the time and how much it meant to us. Oh, Thank you so much. Uh, well, absolutely. And just to be clear, he's he's out of intensive care. Is he out of the hospital? Is he home? He's not out of the hospital, but he has been uh, stable and they have lowered the oxygen level he needed over the span of the last two weeks at this point. Okay. Uh, gradually to the point where his saturation level is high enough and he is, has, not, has no fever. They are talking about 
letting him sending him home back in a day or two so okay. the, the situation is stable he's out of the danger yeah well let's 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 give thanks um we we so pray much. and we give yeah we pray and give thanks for this good report and um just the ministry and the blessing of modern medicine and uh we pray for andre's father as he continues to recover in jesus name amen and the nurses and doctors were really the heroes of the situation with they saved my father's life yes 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 uh, thank you for sharing that information with us andre and it's and really we're really glad to hear it um blessings on you and your family thank you so much blessings on everyone thank you um, anybody else this morning Okie doke. Uh, Max, I'll hand it back over to you. Thanks. Um, I'm going to share a music video with y'all. Um, and to me, it's it's a very it's a very hopeful song. It's a very upbeat song. I know sometimes we don't uh, share those <laughs> kinds of songs. Uh, it's by a band that I am um, quickly falling in love with. Uh, maybe some of you uh, already are, um, but they're called Gang of Youths. Um, they're an Australian band that actually formed originally at Hillsong in Australia before they went through their own process of deconstruction. Um, and so they now, their lyrics are so deep <laughs> and uh, deal with uh, many of the themes so familiar to our community. Um, and they just make really good music. <laughs> um, so uh, this one's called The Heart is a Muscle. Um, and it's it's about love uh, despite hardship. Um, the, the lead singer um, uh, has gone through um, and recently shared about really um, serious uh, bouts of depression and um, uh, attempting to take his own life um, and struggling with what that is and then coming out and um, doing art in the midst of that and trying to focus um, as much as he can uh, on the hope he still has and the love he still has. So it's a really beautiful story. I could probably talk about it for a while, but um, I'll just share this uh, song with you. That's just a little bit of context and uh, hopefully you enjoy. Ship sound, optimize. Here you go. Oh, sorry, this is turned down here. Break me off a piece of that And mix it in with a little wine With someone warm and smart I give With a heart in first and a soul behind And I won't give in Cause I Try again.
Whew, well, there you go. There is your anthem uh, going in to 2022. May all of our hearts be strengthened. Amen. All right. Thanks, Max. So I want to talk about spiritual enlightenment today. Is there even such a thing as you know spiritual enlightenment? And if so, what is it? I I think there are many def different definitions of it. On, on one hand, I think spiritual enlightenment is simply about giving ourselves completely over to love, the love of life and the love of others, which to me means affirming life as beautiful and good, despite its frailties and its finitude. But it also means valuing human well-being and human flourishing, which is you know a phrase I use a lot, right? Human well-being and human flourishing. I think it means valuing that as the highest moral and spiritual ideal, which more specifically means valuing things like justice and compassion. So however we define spiritual enlightenment, and again, I think there's, there's different definitions of that, regardless of how we, how we define it, if it doesn't make us a more loving and compassionate person, then it's not really spiritual enlightenment in my opinion. But I want to go beyond that definition today and talk about spiritual enlightenment as something we search for in religion or spirituality, um, something we come to religion and to spiritual community often looking for. Um, I, I think we, we come to places like this looking for um, a kind of personal and inner experience of peace, wholeness, or a sense of, of being connected to something transcendent and absolute. And, and I think there's value to that. Um, so uh, I came across this, this cartoon a few weeks ago. Uh, Bob, you have it ready to, uh, to share on the screen here. There it is. Um, there's this climber, obviously, uh, and he reaches this, this, this uh, ledge uh, and he discovers a guru there, right? And the guru says, I'm disillusionment. Enlightenment is over there, ha ha ha, right? Uh, okay, thanks, Bob, you can, you can unshare that now. Let's see. Cool, uh, thank you, thank you, Bob. So um, the point is disillusionment is uh, actually at the top of every mountain we climb in. Uh, we climb on in search of enlightenment, which is to say that disillusionment is actually a kind of enlightenment. Disillusionment and enlightenment are actually locked together in a, in a dialectical dance, if you will. What do I mean by that? Well, consider, for example, how so many people today uh, hop from one religion or spiritual tradition to another in the frenetic pursuit of enlightenment, wholeness, peace, or whatever. And for that reason, religion and spirituality are commodified and marketed uh, like everything else is today in our hyper-capitalistic society. We are raised to be consumers and see everything as products that will fulfill us. Religion is no different. And so people hop and shop today from one religion or spiritual tradition to another or from one church to another in the hopes of finding you know, right, the one true correct path. We see this a lot in evangelicalism. Many uh, former evangelicals will go from 
evangelicalism to progressive Christianity than on Buddhism or paganism or Wicca or New Age stuff or go down a, uh, a pharmacological path and experiment with with uh, hallucinogens like DMT or psilocybin, magic mushrooms, right? Or, or something else. Not, now, not that there's anything inherently wrong <laughs> with any of those paths. To be clear, one can find a caring and loving community in all those places. And, and one can find spiritual insights there too. One can also find charlatans and find cults and unhealthy and, and fundamentalist thinking in all those places as well. Uh, but but those are not inherently bad paths or bad places. But like all spiritual paths, they're just that. They're they're just paths. They're they're not the answer. And realizing this and and experiencing this disillusionment is the beginning of a kind of spiritual enlightenment. In in my opinion, this has been described uh, by some as a level two change. And I don't know who came up with that. I certainly didn't. I, I first heard that term on a liturgist podcast. And to understand what a level two change is, we first have to understand, of course, what a level one change is. A level one change is simply the, the hopping and shopping I described a minute ago. It's the going from one religion or spiritual tradition to another in the hopes of finding ultimate truth. Level one changes are about simply trading one set of beliefs and spiritual practices for another without really changing the way that we relate to our beliefs and spiritual practices, which is what a level two change is. A level two change happens when you don't necessarily change your beliefs or, or, or change your spiritual practices or change your religion, but you change the way that you relate to it, meaning you no longer fetishize it or, or, or idolize it and see it as you know, the thing that will make you whole and complete or grant you access to the secrets of the universe or something. Instead, you learn to relate to your path as just one path among many. And that doesn't diminish any of, of your path's uniqueness or beauty or significance. It's just the path that works for you. And it's one path among many in the world that, that points to mysteries and wonders that cannot be adequately described or contained in any single religion or spiritual tradition. In other words, we learn to see our spiritual traditions, our sacred texts, or our scriptures, or our rituals and practices as part of a, of a larger and ancient human attempt to describe and point to what is ultimately indescribable or, or ineffable. No, there's no, there's no words for it. It's beyond human cognition. And yet we need ways of, of talking about these things, of contextualizing them, of, of, of um, interacting with them in community like this one, right? And um, that's what our religions and spiritual traditions do. They, they give us a vocabulary for the soul. They give us a linguistics for the sacred. Or you might say that they, they give us a poetics for the spiritual. This is what our religions and spiritual traditions do for us. But this means that none of them actually you know, contain, domesticate, or capture God, the sacred, the divine, etc. Right? They merely point to it. In the same way, a love song doesn't actually capture or contain or completely define love, right? I mean, who would ever think that 
a, a single love song somehow captures or contains love itself. <laughs> Nobody would think that. Uh, but, but you know, a love song points to it, right? It's, it's, it's hearkening unto it. Uh, it's merely pointing to it with lyrics and poetry and metaphor. Well, in the same way, our religions and spiritual traditions do not actually capture or contain the divine, but they merely point to it with lyrics and poetry and metaphor and story and, and things like that. Understanding this, I think, is what a level two change is. And, and this, too, is a kind of spiritual enlightenment uh, that often only comes from experiencing first a great disappointment, a, a great disillusionment with one's religion. This, this we also call deconstruction, right? Uh, the, the disillusionment and disappointment I'm talking about is, is uh, we have another word for it in our evangelical context as deconstruction. Deconstruction, I think, is always at some level about experiencing a great disappointment or disillusionment with one's religion and coming to terms with that or, or making peace with that. And, and once we do that, I think something amazing can happen. I think we can discover that everything we're looking for in religion and spirituality is actually already here inside of us and at our fingertips and not something we have to struggle for. I have a, a friend who is a PhD psychologist uh, and he's something of a, a mystic. His name's Richard Young. He likes to say this, that for which you seek is that which is doing the seeking. That for which you seek, ostensibly in religion, spirituality, that for which you seek is that which is doing the seeking. <laughs> meaning the thing within you searching for ultimate truth, meaning and enlightenment is actually ultimate truth, meaning and enlightenment itself. These things are not you know, somewhere out there in the ether waiting to be discovered or on some mountaintop somewhere or in this religion or that religion. You know, these things are already within us. And all we need to do is accept that and become aware of it. That, that great uh, Christian theologian, Paul Tillich, put it slightly differently. He said something similar, but put it slightly differently. He said, the passionate search for the absolute is the absolute itself. The passionate search for the absolute, which is really what religion many times is about, the passionate search for the absolute is the absolute itself. In other words, there's something transcendent about our longing for transcendence. There's something enlightened about our longing for enlightenment. There's something sacred and divine about our longing for the sacred and the divine. Uh, this, this part of us that longs for these things is actually the thing itself. It's not separate from the thing. It is the thing. In the same way, a wave on the ocean is not separate from the ocean. It is the ocean, right? It, it, is, it is a wave of energy in the ocean, but it's, it's still the ocean. It's, it's not separate from it, right? We are, you could say we are waves on the ocean of God being created and driven by the winds of the spirit. That's how I like to put it. Uh, to, to put this all in Christian terms, this is a church in a, in a Christian church, so let's, let's put it in Christian terms. We would say that the kingdom of God is among us or within us, <clears throat> as Jesus said in Luke 14, right? The kingdom is among you. It's not, you know, he said, uh, you know, the, those who say, look, you know, we, there it is, or here it is, right? They're, they're misspeaking about it. The kingdom of God is not out there somewhere. It is already among you. It is within you. You are in a, it's saturated. 
right? You are satur- You are immersed in the kingdom here and now. We are a part of it, and it is a part of us. Or we could look at it, or we could look to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is something we practice here every week as part of our spiritual practice, to remind ourselves that, that God's body and blood in the, in the persona of Jesus of Nazareth, God's body and blood is really our body and blood. In communion, we receive God's body and blood symbolized in the bread and, and the wine or whatever you have uh, at home to symbolize it. Maybe it's Cheez-Its or a piece of cinnamon bread or coffee, right? It, but by consuming it, we are saying that God's body and blood is really our body and blood. There is no separation between God and us. We are the temples of, of God's spirit, according to the Apostle Paul, and really always were. That's, that's the deeper revelation. It's not that we became that. It's that we've realized that we have always been that. That, to me, is a very Christian idea. Uh, but it's not just a Christian idea. It's found in a lot of other religions, right? This idea that we are already one with the divine. Uh, and, and this is at the heart of what I think spiritual enlightenment is. It's, it's inherently non-dualistic in nature to me. Um, it, it tears down our binary thinkings about God and us, and really even us and each other. We learn to see ourselves and everyone as part of this great cosmic whole, which in turn calls us, I believe, there, there's, there's social and ethical implications here, um, this understanding, this spiritual enlightenment translates into a lived reality uh, where we are called into a new way of living dominated by the values of love and, and care and concern for, for those around us and, and a deep sense of gratitude for being here now and for what we can, what we can do for each other, all right? It, it's about having this deep sense of connection to each other. So that's my understanding of spiritual enlightenment. I, I hope that's meaningful. I hope that's helpful. Uh, and now I'd like to hear your understanding or your reaction to my understanding. Um, what's your take on spiritual enlightenment? Um, what are your thoughts about, about what I've had to say today? Does anybody uh, want to share? Hello. Hello. Uh, hello again. Uh, that, that's a very interesting uh, uh, point. Uh, point the topic of discussion that I hadn't uh, thought about consciously as much, but it, it makes a lot of sense. It uh, I I I I agree with uh, everything that you said. I uh, it just made me think of how we perceive when you mentioned like disillusionment. As in also like disillusionment, like in terms of as a stepping stone, that's the way I interpreted your words in towards reaching your own enlightenment and yourself digging into your own soul till you find out, you know, the connection to the divine. Um, it kind of like made me think of people that are um, living according to our, you know, uh, religious beliefs or our moral and ethical um, beliefs uh, in a way that is um, unethical and how maybe I sh- personally I should do a better job of maybe celebrating the, or at least not be as condemning about their way of life and maybe welcome their 
sometimes at moments an ethical lifestyles as a stepping stone and a proof that they are actually going towards spiritual enlightenment and trying to reach God in a similar way as like the disillusionment cliff was there on the wrong mountain, but it was just a stepping stone towards reaching spiritual enlightenment in the same way, uh, seeing our shortcomings and fallings and ours as in as a society as stepping stones and proof that people are, you know, there is actually movement and there is actually a search for the divine instead of critiquing it as something bad in itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I think I hear you saying that, you know, in a sense, it's we're never done with this journey of spiritual enlightenment, perhaps, and we're always going to fall short of being kind of like truly spiritually enlightened. And, and I completely agree with that. This, is, this isn't about, you know, uh, any kind of perfection. And we're, and it's certainly the way that works out ethically is always problematic as well. Um, yeah. I, is, is that kind of what you were, is, is that what you were saying, Andre? It's kind of along those lines, more like, should we welcome the state of being temporarily oh. illusioned? Should we yeah, welcome yeah. it means that we're going to towards the right direction? That's yeah, that's a good question. I, yeah, I mean, I think at some level we have to. I, I think I think we do. We're, we, you know, we all, to put it again in, uh, I guess, Christian terms and scriptural terms, we all fall, fall short of the glory of God, you know, uh, which is not a, a phrase I, I like to use often anymore. But um, I, I think there's truth to that. I, I think... Um, I think we have to make space for each other to be in process, to be growing, to be to be not where we should be always. Um, and I, I think as long as someone's open-minded and their heart is in the right place, meaning that they're desiring to grow in their humanity and their love and care and concern for others, and they're and they're orientated that way, <clears throat> I think there's great. My my concern is for those. Uh, who are obstinate about, you know, when, when, you know, they're confronted with how they're harming others, they, they don't care or they get defensive and they don't want to listen to any kind of critique of how they're harming or engaging in, in, you know, in doing that. Um, that's, that's, that's problematic. That's not an enlightened place to be. Uh, but, you know, again, we're, we're all, I think, as you put it, um, none of us have achieved spiritual enlightenment you know, we're all on a path, hopefully, of it uh, in a kind of non-dualistic thinking where we learn to see ourselves as, you know, unified and, and together with each other. Uh, and, and that, you know, the divine, the sacred God is is a part of us and we are a part of God. But again, that's always that's never something we fully achieve in my mind. It's always it's always something we're working on. Um, yeah. And we need grace for each other in that process. For me, but again, for me, the question is, is somebody, is someone in that process or not? Um, that's, that's, that's my question. Yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, I, sometimes I feel like I am more disarmed by the lack of active, the lack of uh, action towards, you know, getting somewhere spiritually, as opposed to trying and making mistakes, but keep trying. I, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, good, good stuff. Thanks, Andre. Yeah, other, other thoughts today or questions? Um, <clears throat> hey, Aaron. Hey. So I kind of, in my journey of, you know, coming from the born-agains and trying to really figure out, like, what the heck I really feel and believe and stuff like that, I, I think I've 
I've met it like one person that stands out in my mind. I don't, I couldn't pick him out in a crowd. I have no idea, but I feel like to me, he was spiritual enlightenment. He sort of, um, I think that having a piece of God in you, which we all do, but actually putting that to action every day in life, um, which is having faith no matter what, um, loving thy neighbor, follow, you know, being humble, um, using your, uh, your talents that God has given you and like literally doing all of the things in action. I've only met one person that I really felt like was doing the walk of Jesus in, in every like day, you know what I mean? In every minute. And I don't know that that's, I don't know that everyone on this earth can achieve that on earth, but I feel like there are a few rare people who can take the teachings and literally live them and just be that light in darkness of friends and churches and, you know, literally everywhere. It's just <clears throat> something that a living in the action of what Jesus is in its pureness is kind of how I think it can be achieved here on earth. I don't know that it, I think for most people it happens when you die, you know, it's when all of the earthly terrible things are taken away and you no longer have those temptations or, you know, things that you're dealing with and anger and greed and all that kind of stuff sort of gets in the way of, I think a lot of people's ability to achieve spiritual awakeness or, you know, something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like those thoughts. I think this idea of becoming more Christ-like in this life is spiritual enlightenment. I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's hard. <laughs> to put it mildly. We don't actually get there. But, um, you know, in some ways, it's more of a, a way of structuring your life or orientating yourself maybe more than anything else. I don't know. I feel like some people have like a calling. I do still believe that some people have a calling and sometimes that calling, like, you know, for me and you, it's really difficult to, we struggle with certain things that uh, keep us from that spiritual enlightenment every day. And we're always needing to grow and learn. And, but I think that there are some people who that is their calling and it is easy for them to accomplish that. Sure. I, I think, I think different people are able to to do that maybe better than others like a lot of things yeah maybe you're right about that that's a good good point i hadn't thought about that an aptitude for it maybe yeah, yeah. other thoughts today i like the idea that enlightenment is sort of the awareness um more than the kind of grasping or achieving of a certain kind of state um, that it, it actually, it kind of encompasses the entire journey. And as soon as you make it about the progress, then you're kind of not on it anymore because it is about consuming something or achieving something like it's, it's about, or trying to possess an end goal. Um, so it, it requires, in a sense, it requires it to be a kind of a constant state of presence. Mm, I like that. Um, that in any moment, if you are not sort of present in the um, kind of the spiritual realities, 
and, and kind of focused on, again, possessing the end goal, you are not in it anymore. Um, and so enlightenment is just sort of like this constant kind of humility and presence and openness to, yeah. I would say, the spirit of God. Um, one thing I'm like struggling with right now in my own mind is sort of the concept of an absolute. Um, yeah. Like definitely agree that that whatever that is, is ineffable and in uncontainable and that whatever our, our sort of attempts to um, kind of capture that or fully understand that would, would fall short, um, which further like kind of proves the point of like trying to achieve that or reach that is, is futile. Um, but I don't necessarily know that it means it doesn't sort of exist that, that like God couldn't potentially be sort of in a sense, like, and you know, the absolute or sort of the, 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 uh, um, you know, kind of ultimate truth, but it's certainly like that, that, that cannot be possessed or, right. um, or contained. Yeah. So it, it just means that, yeah, like the, the pursuit of that is not the point and is not possible. Um, I struggle a little with the idea of saying that the absolute is the pursuit entirely but it sure. like like in reality but it could be sort of in practice that because yeah. the absolute cannot be possessed um that that can't be the point the point yeah and i'm just yeah and i'm just putting that in a kind of a non-dualistic frame that's all i think mm -hmm. you're absolutely right to saying the absolute isn't just our passionate longing for it or our, you know what i mean that part of us that longs for it but it is kind of I my in my in my thinking it's connected to it. It's not separate. Yeah. Whatever that is. And the app and words like absolute, ultimate, you know, these are just metaphors for something that's ultimately indescribable, as you put it. Yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like it because the ultimate and the, you know, the absolute cannot be um cannot be possessed right. uh, you know, as an object, uh, then we have to change the way we relate to it. Uh, it doesn't mean it does not exist, but it means that our, the way we relate to it has to be sort of just a constant awareness of, and that as soon as we think we've gained something, or as soon as we think we possess something, we're sort of, that's the sign that we're off the path. And, and usually also ends up meaning we're no longer kind of present in the spiritual life. Like we're very focused on, either the past or like what we have, what we, you know, what we've achieved or, or what the goal is. Like we're not, you know, we're sort of fixated on, um, something other than, other than, um, living in the reality of having all that we need and, and really having the spirit of God and all that that means. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, well, oh, that's really good. I, and you've, you keyed something up in, in my mind when you were talking about awareness. I, for me, th I, I think that's absolutely it. And, but, but to be clear, maybe this will help people kind of, this is all very abstract stuff, right? Uh, I want to give it some, some granite, um, some, some foundation. For me, the way that I experience that, that sense of awareness, that sense of being really present, the way that I experience that um, is, is, is through this feeling of, of, 
profound awe and wonder for, for, for you know, this here and now, for life and being, for the things I see around me. Um, you know, there's the, the beauty and the goodness, the simple beauties and goodness I, I see around me. I experience a profound sense of awe and wonder and a sense of gratitude. I don't know about you, Emily, um, but that's how, that's when I know that I, that I am really present and I am really um, just practicing awareness um, and, and I'm really connecting with that that depth dimension that I think is, you know, where my, if you want to call it my spiritual life, I don't like, you know, but I, I think that that's kind of where it lives for me is in that experience of, of just, of just giving myself over to that awe, that wonder, that sense of gratitude for, for being here now. I, do, do you, do you resonate with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's, um, that's a huge part because you're, that's kind of like, acknowledging the spiritual reality and all that exists um that's sort of uncontainable and ineffable but also living within sort of the um like seeing that as something that you can perceive in limited ways and so it's just kind of ultimate presence with that reality um it seems and i, I definitely relate to that and, and i think that that's tight i think that's ultimately rooted in, in love and by and love is such a weird term or a term that we over we say we love french fries and i love my wife we use the love, love is such a weird word sometimes but but i but i i think it's an incredibly wonderful obviously and deep word and and when i'm talking about awe and wonder and gratitude that's rooted in this deeper commitment to to the love of life and the love of kind of being and and that's for me translates into my sense of love and connection to others and and kind of everything around me and and, and again that's tied to that sense of gratitude um, that that sense of thankfulness for those in my life and the and the capacity to love and care and to hopefully make a difference in the lives of others it's all kind of tied together uh, and again that's that for me is awareness and and that, that connection to the absolute um, you know that ultimacy uh, that I think we're talking about today and you know, spiritual enlightenment. Anyway, that that's that's where I land with it. That's how I conceptualize it. Um, any anybody else want to share today or, or react to that? Thanks, Emily. You know, and. For me, uh, oh, sorry, Anthony, looks like you unmuted. Go ahead. Oh, and now you're muted again. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and I just, I guess I wanted to just, for the sake of, you know, this being a community mostly made up of ex-evangelicals, just kind of touch back on the fact that, you know, for me, a lot of this is rooted in first undergoing that great dis disappointment and disillusionment with, you know, the religion of my upbringing and going through deconstruction. I, I couldn't really get to where I'm at now without going through that, without trying to climb that mountain to find, you know, that guru that says I'm disillusionment. You know, there's no, in a sense that is, you know, the enlightenment we're talking about. It's so rooted in letting go of our need for certainty, our, our need for, you know, again, certainty and, and clarity and, and the end of mystery. And it's about the embrace of uncertainty and unknowing and mystery and allowing ourselves to kind of revel in, in the awe and the wonder and give ourselves over to that because I think that's reality. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's definitely tied into embracing disillusionment and deconstruction and, 
and disappointment with you know finding the answer. Uh, but that's hard for us. Uh, you know, I want to give voice to that. I think that's really hard for us. Um, but that too is a kind of enlightenment, mm -hmm. embracing that. Somebody else want to react or speak to that? Um, <clears throat> so I agree with you in the whole like disappointment and disillusionment of what I was before or my beliefs were before. Um, and I think that that religion, you know, since I always hated organized religion, I felt like that was sort of the devil. It wasn't the people. It was more like the organ. It was the organization that we created of things we had to do and couldn't do. And there were so many limitations. I feel like the beliefs are put in place to put limits on us. We are not to believe that we can achieve things. We are constantly reminded of how we are undeserving and uh, less than, and we always have to be like, you know, on the ground and like, you know, crawling on our hands and knees because we are sinners. so, sinners. yeah, sinners. And I just feel like that's, it, it is, those, those beliefs are created to put limits on us as humans and what we yeah. can achieve, which is why I think a lot of people don't want to be religious. They don't want to believe because they're like, well, why would I want to put myself in such a limitation, you know, limited yeah. state all the time that I feel like this whole spiritual awakeness and enlightenment um, sort of, because I was telling Diana, I'm like, we're already a walking miracle, just our bodies, what our bodies can do, how we, how little we know about how, what, how our bodies work and how they function and how do they, we don't plug in at the end of the night, you know, that's already a walking miracle. So why isn't, why don't people believe that everything that you need is in inside of you with the capabilities we have with our brains and the fact yeah. that love is something you can't prove. I mean, that's, that's not science. You know what I mean? I can't, prove in a test that I love Diana and you know, you can't take my blood and go, Oh, she loves her, you know? So it's with those things, love is such a grandiose idea that I think can be achieved, but we can't prove the whole thing is that proves to me that there's so much inside that we can have and it's right here and we don't need to search outside or whatever. And, we are deserving people and we can do good and big things in this world and make other people feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. I, I think that's, that's part of the big takeaway today, learning that we are enough. We, we are enough. You don't, you don't need me. You don't need the pastor guru man or whoever to, you know, make you enough or to give you what you need. You are already enough. Uh, you are, you know, infinitely, you know, you know, you, you have you have a kind of infinite depth and, a, and an inexplicable beauty and depth about you already. You are already part of God. And I, I don't make you part of it. No one can make you that. You know, you are already that. And those who say otherwise, those who say, you know, our church, our religion, you know, we're, we've got the answers. We're the only right path. You know, our pastor is, is the guru or our yogi is, is the person you have to go and see and, and sit under, you know, uh, you know, all of that cult-like thinking is ultimately about power dynamics and a, and a disavowal of our true humanity, which is divine, which is sacred, which, which is already, in a sense, kind of whole. Um, yes, life is full of lack and, and dissatisfaction, and we have to make peace with that. 
but in that we can find a kind of wholeness, <laughs> a kind of a kind of wholeness in our lack. I would say uh, we can transcend it in some ways by by making peace with it. Right, that's the dialectical nature. But again, we have to let go of our of our of our of our idolatrous nature to find you know to go looking for the thing in right. some some in somebody else in somewhere else in some in some you know religion or spiritual. We have to let go of that. And believe that everything we need is already right here, and you know, at, at our fingertips and in our relationships, you know, our loving relationships. And if people believed more of that, we would have less people literally drinking Kool Aid and killing themselves you to get it. this, you know, because they think they aren't whole. Right. They need someone or something to right. make that happen. Right. Um, and that's I've been saying this since I came here. It is that <laughs> ideology of the born again evangelical that you need someone or something bigger than you and you will never be enough yourself. And so they put limits, they keep you doubting yourself. They take away your, it's just, it's poison. And I always, always knew that I knew that there was something that was like, this doesn't feel right. It was always something that didn't feel right. Well, because you're intuitive. You, 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 yeah. intuit, you know, it's, it's intuition. You just know this, this feels unhealthy. This feels, yeah. this feels wrong. Um, yeah. And, and you're, it's, it's about power. It's, it's about preying on people's, the, the, our human nature, which again, desires, you know, wholeness and satisfaction and answers and certainty. We have to learn to let go of that and embrace the inherent unknowability, the inherent uncertainty of, of our lives and of the universe itself and of reality and make peace with that but and only through that can can we find a kind of serenity only only through that in a sense and and for me that's what ultimately the cross is about the death of god the crucifixion of certainty the crucifixion of you know this this transcendent other thing that's going to give us all the answers no that's crucified but in the wake of that crucifixion the embrace of that that the death of that god uh, we are raised to new life. We are resurrected in the world. We are we are born again. We we can use that language to describe where this kind of spiritual enlightenment. Um, and uh, in a sense, we've we've have faced death, mortality, and embraced it, and thereby overcome it in in some ways. Uh, does that make sense? I'm trying to put it in a in a Christian context too. Uh, I think that's helpful. <laughs> I think I'm I'm on that. I'm with you. Yeah. And, and, that's, and honestly, a lot of the stuff is, is for those of you who aren't familiar with the work of Peter Rollins, I rarely name drop him anymore, but this is really kind of uh, the crux of his work. If you're interested in getting more into it, you can read a couple of uh, books of his I can recommend, but otherwise, uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, anybody else uh, have any other remarks today? I just have only a passing comment that this whole conversation and hearing everybody kind of discuss where they are in this reminds me of the larger, like it feels like this is something that is so new, um, but these kinds of ideas of faith have been a part of the Christian tradition for centuries. And um, and it's weird because we're such an intellectual community here and our culturally we are in such an intellectual place where we want knowledge and facts. Um, at least for me, it's really hard to separate that out and try to have a faith that doesn't encompass that. 
um, which is why I'm drawn so much to mysticism in the Christian tradition from like ancient mystics like Ignatius to more contemporary people like Thomas Merton, uh, Richard Rohr and Sumant Kidd, like these people who kind of express and embody the things that you're talking about in a way of being in the world. And what I love so much about it is the further that they go, the less certain they are of anything that they talk about. That, you know, God is deep and inside and found within, and God is also wholly otherworldly and intangible and incomprehensible. And there's this like, pulling contradiction constantly, which makes it impossible to kind of tie down and define God, even when we try to do it as, you know, this like, um, wholly internal or um, like wholly progressive thing. So I don't know, I find the mystics hard to read and get into and understand. And I feel compelled to do more of it all the time. It's a weird space. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Having a historical understanding of Christianity here is really important. And the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the Eastern Church, has always been better about these things than the Western Church. Uh, there certainly are Western mystics, but the Eastern Orthodox tradition um, has always kind of lived, lived, lived there with this idea of oneness, uh, with with this kind of divine absolute, and not trying to over describe it. And you know, uh, anyway. Th th there's so much there we could go into. There's a historical uh, stream within Christianity that goes back, you know, to the very beginning um, that echoes everything we're saying here. This is not some newfangled, new age, progressive Christianity take. This is this is ancient stuff. This goes all the way back to Plato. Uh, people like that too. So, anyway, good stuff. All right. Well, shall we? Uh, shall we end there this week? Uh, I want to thank you all for being here, per usual. Um, much love to all of you. You can hang out and chat if you'd like, but otherwise we are formally dismissed. Have a great week, everybody.